One of the most misunderstood phrases in the Apostles' Creed is that which says, I believe in, of course, the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. There's always an inquisitiveness about our ties to the Roman Catholic Church. And in fact, um, it's interesting that this is always, it seems, brought up at some point to me as the pastor of the congregation. Someone will raise the issue of how is it and why is it that we are connected to the Roman Catholic Church. We say it in our creed. At the very first of this sermon series, before having left the sanctuary, having preached that first sermon, someone came to me from this congregation and said, could you explain to me, and I knew where this was going, could you explain to me how we are connected and why we are connected, why we would profess this kind of allegiance to the Roman Catholic Church? I took a deep breath and began to explain what I feel like is something that should have circulated far enough now, but it it has not. And so I am going to share it with you, and then I am going to sprinkle you with the power to be able to share it with others and to retain it yourselves, that the word Catholic is not a denominational name, but you'll see that it is actually written with a small letter C, and that, in fact, if you're looking in the hymnal at this, you'll see an asterisk, which at the bottom of the page gives the footnote to the word which originally, in its meaning, is universal, or worldwide, or global, or everywhere. Now, I want you to say to me that you've got it. Have you got it? Okay, good. Remember this, because God will give you perhaps opportunities to share with others about the importance of this very word. It is an important word. There is this inquisitiveness about it, and it is supposed to be definitional for us of who we are. Here in the South, I think the reason that, the re- that this comes up as a question is because we are fit with the vestiges of suspicion of the Catholic Church itself. In fact, this gives me calls to say to you that we have better things to do with our thought and with our mind than to be worried over our dear brothers and sisters in Christ in the Roman Catholic Church. Our dear brothers and sisters that are just across Gentilly Road, no doubt, are praying for us right now, and we should be praying for them. These whom we are connected with in Christ. There are many words that I could speak on this subject, but you and I should remember most of all that we are not a people of prejudice and that we are a people of understanding and that much of our prejudice comes from our lack of understanding of who we are and what our history might be. Perhaps we should be more concerned about another word. Instead of Catholic, 
we should be concerned about the word holy that precedes it. For us to remember that we belong to God and that we as the church are called to be sacred and set aside for the purposes of God. There is an anti-church sentiment these days. And you may say to yourself, how is it that it's come to this? Well, let me tell you that we're not the only generation ever to have to deal with an anti-church sentiment. In fact, as I've read through the journal of John Wesley, I found it interesting that he was pelted by stones as he rode on horseback throughout the countryside of England. People that had heard as much from John Wesley as they wanted to hear. Even at one point in his journal, he said it had been some time since he had been hit by a stone and he wondered what was going on. (laughs) I sat in Warner Robins a few years back in a mall. I was on a bench and I think Sue was doing a little bit of shopping. I happened to sit on a bench where there was a grandmother and her granddaughter. And of course, I struck up a conversation and as preachers are wont to do, I asked, which church do you attend? And I realized there was a very pregnant pause and it was the little girl who spoke up. She was but five to six years old. And she said to me, she said, my daddy loves Jesus, but he doesn't like the church. I'm not sure that she ever realized how broken my heart was at that moment. I was left wondering what to say. I wanted to tell her that I knew a place that I hoped that her father would like a church that was trying to be something that was good and welcoming and open to the world around it. But I did not say that to her. Maybe all of this is born of the image that we project. I fear that it is the case. Have you ever heard anyone say that the church is filled with hypocrites? They're right. This is why we confess our sin every time we get together. And our goal is not to be hypocritical, but to be loving. But it requires every ounce of our being and the good graces and intervention of a God who loves us into being more. In fact, as the world looks at us, perhaps they see the divisions amidst us. Have you ever been at a church that was split and felt that power really of Satan at work in the midst of the church to tear it down? It is an awful thing to witness. It concerns me, I must share with you, that the United Methodist Church is at a point at which it will have to make some decisions In fact, you will hear in the news in the months to come, I'm sure, uh, information that will make it appear that we are a 
denomination that is teetering on a balance. I would have you know that we've been teetering on a balance for a long time. And we have been held together by Christ. And it is my prayer, my hope, and I pray yours as well, that we will remain one united Methodist church, that we are a people that are called to unite our hearts and to welcome others as God connects us with the world around us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the apostle Paul spills his heart as he says, and all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. He's remembering the story of Moses, how Moses went up the mount to receive the commandments. And when he returned, he wasn't so much aware, but the people were aware. And he had to veil his face because his face shone from being in the presence of God. Now, it's interesting the way in which Paul talks about this because it's very different from the Old Testament scripture and the story about it. He is veiling himself in the Old Testament, it says, to guard the people against the brightness of God's presence on his life. The apostle Paul, as he's writing a reflection on this, he says it's not so much because of the shine that he had on his face, but because of the failing glory that was disappearing that he did not want to reveal. How is it that your face is veiled today? Do you have a sense in which God is not as present as he once was? Let me call you back into his presence. This is what Paul was doing here with these words. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. The power of Christ in our midst. We should be not a divided people. We should be even more so a united people than we ever have been in this day. We should be praying for our sister churches that are scattered not only down Fair Road but throughout this community and around the world and they are our sisters and brothers in Christ. They are not our competition. How many times since moving here have I heard someone bemoan the fact that some other congregation here in town stole our people away? Get over it. Get over it. God is using them in another place. I celebrate the fact that they are connected in some place with God. And let me remind you that our job is to connect those many people that have no connection yet in their heart to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't need to worry about other churches. We need to worry about what Christ wants us to do here. I have been thinking about our 
wildly important goal of gathering 100 children on average by the end of this year. You've heard us talking about it. This is a wildly important goal. Moving from an average of 35 to an average of 100 is an enormous undertaking. And it will not happen if just a few people buy in. All of us must take the effort and invite in order that our hallways might be overflowing with children. Do you want to see that? I do. I believe that it can happen. But let me tell you where not to go. Do not go fishing in some other preacher's pond, okay? (laughs) They have a place, and we should celebrate that they are connected to God there. God is sending us to children who are not connected with the church or with Christ. And we have the joyful opportunity to do that very thing. When you have memory of church buildings in your life that, were, that have been special, what is it that you think about? I know that some of you would say, I think about this beautiful sanctuary, this overturned ship, the ribs that support before us this beautiful and holy ground. When I think, I think of a little church that I knew years ago when I started pastoring, Cook's Union, its name, nestled under pine trees. It was nothing more than a whitewashed block building. And yet I remember it so clearly in my mind. How beautiful, how very beautiful that setting. What is it that makes for you holy ground? I hope that you can see that church is more than any building that we would gather in. In fact, do you remember that little tune that is even in our hymnal that children still love to sing, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together, all who follow Jesus all around the world. Yes, we're the church together. What a beautiful thought. We the people are the church We don't so much go to church. We are the church. In fact, the very meaning of the word church, ecclesia, is called out. Called out. We belong to God. I know pastors who think they own their church. I know members of congregations who think they own their church. (laughs) But who does the church belong to? The church is the bride of Christ. And you and I 
are his guests, his children in this place. Aren't you grateful to be here and to acknowledge this once again today? We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And what are we doing to create this koinonia, this fellowship, this gathering? How is it that you and I are so committed to it in our lives? I love hearing the stories of Pittman Park of old. I remember that Woody Powell used to gather people in by bacon pies. It was a beautiful and simple thing that he chose to do. This past fall, it was interesting. We were having one of these dinners at uh, an individual's house to share the word about the capital campaign. And there were people, a lot of people, that were gathered around the table. And the question was asked, what is it that brought you to Pittman Park And it was interesting in that setting that uh, the lady that I'm about to embarrass by saying anything about this, she was not there to hear. But several people that evening said, I would not be at Pittman Park if Benny Herring had not come to visit me. Um, Did you hear me, Benny? Okay. It's because of the commitment, the commitment in the heart to do something that we together are able to create this koinonia fellowship. And God needs those who are committed to do this even to this day, especially in this day. I love the words of C.S. Lewis. In fact, this is a quote that I keep on my desk at home at all times. C.S. Lewis wrote, he works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. Men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men. Usually it is those who know him that bring him to others. That is why the church the whole body of Christians showing him to one another is so important. It is so easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals All the clergy, all the missions, the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other reason. I love the way in which this is worded in Hebrews chapter 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Isn't that an image? Can you imagine the cloud of witnesses here with us today? Who can you think of that would be a part of that cloud of witnesses? Can you think of family members, 
friends that have gone on that are still a part of that cloud of witnesses? Can you think of people that are a part of this cloud of witnesses that may be yet to come? Can you even think that far? My my great-great-grandfather used to pray in our family. His knees would hit the floor, and he would say, I pray for all the unborn generations to follow. Can you think of the cloud of witnesses that is here this day? The church is not some bureaucratic structure. The church is a community of redeemed people. I think this is what the church of Mulholland was trying to say to us when they sent that picture that's down our hallway in response to our having sent $50,000 to them for Katrina's support after that hurricane came in and wrecked their lives. And if you get up close to that picture, you'll see that the entire congregation is found on that spot. Each little face forming the whole. I want you to be aware of the larger church. And I want you to be in prayer for the larger church. In fact, as we come to communion this morning, I want to ask that you would receive communion. And for those who are able, take just a moment to kneel here at the altar. And on the altar, you will find pens and sticky notes. And in fact, you will also find that uh, some of the sticky notes have already been written upon by those who were here at our 845 service. I want you to pray for at least one church other than Pittman Park. It could be a church here in our community, or it may be a church that you remember that is at a distance from our community. But I want you to write the name of the church that you're praying for on one sticky note, only one church per sticky note, okay? Write the name and leave the sticky note here at the altar, along with your prayers for that church. Let us commune, let us truly commune at this table of grace to which Christ invites us. Would you turn in your hymnal to page 12? 